to How Have You Not Seen That? My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about movies. Uh, these are movies that we haven't seen before, but maybe have uh, made it seem like we have seen them or have just missed for whatever reason. Uh, Wilson, it was your choice this week. You chose Inception, the Christopher Nolan smash. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This was um, a big one. It was a very, very big one. Uh, can you attempt to summarize the Absolutely. Film? Of course. It's okay. pretty straightforward. Right? Yeah. <laughs> pretty clear what happens here. Um, yeah, this is one I definitely lied about. Like the, like the idea is that we have lied about seeing this movie. I just didn't want the reactions to be like, oh, you haven't seen Inception? Like, no, I haven't. It's a, it's a pretty big one. Uh, this is Chris Nolan's 2010 movie. Uh, stars Leonardo DiCaprio as cop. I didn't catch his first name. I just used his last name the whole movie. They're all last names, yeah. I don't know because yeah, Arthur He's, is he's Dominic Cobb. They call him Dom a few times. Okay, you might be, yeah, you're right. That does happen. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Um, the premise is that, or the conceit is that he can enter into people's dreams and either steal information from their psyche or, which is the drama of the film, implant information to like give them ideas mm -hmm. that they feel they have um, come up with on their own. Uh, the major hook is that he gets hired by Ken Watanabe to implant the idea into some big corporate bigwig's son's head to dismantle the company that he's going to inherit and try to make it on his own and he wants to do this so that like the market is less crowded in the field of energy or something I mean, they're competitors they're so. competitors yeah so it's like corporate espionage yes um he, leonardo dicaprio assembles a team composed of uh i, I got Gordon it Levitt. i got it if you need it joseph gordon levitt jgl yeah, that guy. Um, the Juno, Ellen Page, Ellen Page and um, Tom Hardy, yes. and a person of color. Uh, Dilip Rao. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honorary in this yeah. film, and then the least important member of the team, um, to assemble the um, scheme that they'll need in order to implant this idea in uh, Cillian Murphy's head, yes. who is the, the, the son here. Um, th that's where the name comes from. That's called Inception. It's supposed to be this impossible thing to like give someone an idea that they don't realize was implanted by somebody else, and they're going to attempt it by digging in several layers into his dreams. So like as you get further, it becomes easier to conceal where the idea came from. Um, they do this on a ten-hour flight from somewhere to Los Angeles, Sydney, Sydney to Los Angeles, like in uh, Lost, mm -hmm. <laughs> and. Uh, and Drama unfolds from there. The on the personal level, from Leonardo DiCaprio, he has attempted this before with his with his wife, um, who is played by Marion uh, Cotillard. Cotillard how you say? Um, it turns out that they didn't realize that time moves differently when you're in the dream world. They end up experiencing fifty years worth of the passage of time when they attempt this before the events of the movie begin. Um, they come out of it. Uh, his wife believes that they're still dreaming and she ends up killing herself thinking that it's a dream and that that's how you get out of the dream. Um, and he has not dealt with the guilt, the trauma, the whatever of this happening. Therefore, she keeps invading these dream worlds in order to prevent them from pulling up their dream heist. Uh, the movie concludes with them successfully implanting the idea in Cillian Murphy's head. Uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio character gets to go be reunited with his family because that was the deal all along. Um, and it concludes with 
it not being clear whether or not DiCaprio is in a dream or not in a dream. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the movie. Um, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of like, <laughs> things happening in this movie. Um, a lot of Christopher Nolanisms the the whole time. Um, but I think mm -hmm. that is the basic structure yeah. of the film. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's everything. Um, you both had seen this before, correct? Yeah. Okay. I've seen it a handful of times, yeah. yeah. It was a big deal in theaters. It was. It yeah, it, it was like, what, it was 2010 that this came out? Yeah. Yeah, I just... I think I saw it in theaters, and I remember it being, like, visually... It's impressive astounding looking. Astounding movie yeah. at the time. It is very impressive looking. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, you're a big Nolan fan, right? Yeah, Charles? absolutely. Okay, how does this one stack up for you? In the Nolan um, filmography. I like it a lot just as like a very slick and fun action movie with mm -hmm. an interesting concept. Um, but like the reaction around it has been kind of weird and it's made it hard for me to evaluate it like clearly, I guess, just because it's so divisive as a movie. Because I feel like a lot of people overrate it for certain reasons and a lot of people underrate it for other reasons, probably as a reaction to people who like it too much. And like, so it's hard to get a clear read of like, you know, the general like consensus on it. I personally like it a lot for the reasons I defined earlier, but I wouldn't like, you know, praise the movie beyond that, I guess. That's fair. Um, so like movies like The Prestige, mm -hmm. uh, Memento, The Dark Knight, I would put above this one. Uh, I'm not sure how I would compare this with Interstellar. I enjoyed Interstellar quite a bit too. Or Dunkirk. Dunkirk, I like more than this, I think. Um, I don't know. I guess that's just a testament to the strength of, or at least my, in my opinion, the strength of Christopher Nolan's other work, um, that this one feels like it's so low on the list. Um, yeah. Just okay. great, great action movie. And I think that's part of the reason I stayed away from it. Like, I have a, you know, mixed feelings about Nolan in general. Mm -hmm. And this one just had, like, such a weird, rabid fan base that feels so specific to... Yeah. Or, or like, a, a fan base that Nolan cultivates. I was like, I don't need to participate in that. I think it came from The Dark Knight. Like, yes. all the people that were really into The Dark Knight were just, like, all right, I'm on board for Inception. Right. Like, and it's the, the same and, movie. And, yeah, yeah. and they, they were. Because um, they, they came out pretty close to each other. And Two years later, I think, Dark yeah. Knight was... Mm -hmm. and I, Really similar cats, like yeah, Hardy, um, Justin Gordon. -Lady. Well, that in the next one, in Dark Knight Rises, he lifted a lot of the cast from this movie, yeah, yeah which yeah. came out after this. E yes, the, the the third in the yeah, Nolan Batman series was it was like a year or two after this. Yeah, yeah. and it's all the same cast. It's yeah, because it's Hardy, yeah. it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, it's um, Michael Cotillard. Cotillard. Michael Caine. Yeah, he's in this yeah. movie for like three Cotillard. minutes. Like, what the hell is he doing in this? He's got a good working relationship with Christopher he's, Nolan, clearly. Him, like, I mean, he was an interstellar. He was an interstellar. He's Cash and Jack, so. He sure is. Yeah. Man, go, go get it, Michael Caine. Uh, but yeah, like he, uh, Nolan has people he likes to work with, quite clearly. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Like Plenty of actors do, and directors, rather. Um, and, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, I think part of what like didn't like get me running to go see this movie at any point over the last nine years is, is the fan base. So it's just like, all right, like I, I get the Nolan thing, I get what he's doing, I don't need to see what's going on here. What, what was your reaction then? Uh, I mean, it's he, he's clearly a master technician, right? Mm. Like just in terms of constructing a, a film on a technical level, like he is, he is great. He knows how to point a camera. He knows how to point a camera. He is very happy with his edits and like he dives in with that here. Um, I thought the performances here were fine. Like I, I feel like Nolan's not really an actor's director, and that comes across in this movie. Like it, it, it was a lot of 
like the Ellen Page character, I would have some question about how the world works, and like he would ask the question <laughs> like immediately after I think of it. And so it, it kind of feels like this movie is treating its actors and its characters like just you know founts of information rather than people. Um, and I think that's very typical of Nolan. He's a pop filmmaker. I mean, he is in that. I think he yeah. wants his movies to make money, but I also think he has like some amount of disdain for the people that he works with and for like the people as mass. Right, like which is part of his Toryism, and I think that there was a lot of that Toryism in this movie, and and that kind of you're, you're diving in quick. Yes, yeah, uh, yes, I am. So my my point is that it this it functions as cinema. It's cool. It, like the action sequences are cool, but I also got this like the same like distancing that I feel from Nolan, like this guy who like describes emotions rather than elicits emotions, which is how I felt about Interstellar. Like I think that's at play here as well. So it, it left me a little cold. And like I feel like he's making a puzzle rather than a movie. And you know, that doesn't have the emotional cinematic resonance that I want when I go to a movie. I, I felt the same way this time around. Yeah. In that I was like, I don't really care. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I don't know. I, hope I mean, it's not that I don't care. Like, I want to see him put the puzzle together and, like, that's cool, right? No, like, I was like, this time around, I had seen it. Because you'd seen it before, right? Yeah. So, I, a, I hadn't seen it. So, like, seeing that, like, so, unpacked well, it worked. Like, the, that was neat. But the I'm, notion of, like, corporate espionage as being, like, their ultimate goal here felt right. very <laughs> hollow to me. Yeah. Where mm -hmm. it's just, like, this one rich business guy is just trying to screw over this other rich business guy. Yep. And I was just like, one of whom is in, dead. <laughs> in, um, I guess in the world where Christopher Nolan, who's a known Tory, conser yeah. like conservative UK person, that probably matters a lot to someone like that. And I was just like, I don't, I hope they all die. Like, <laughs> right, or get stuck in limbo or uh, whatever. I, yeah, and I think what saves it a little for me is like DiCaprio is like always good. Yeah. And, and Tom Hardy is like, Great, great. In general, like DiCaprio needs to stop making movies with Tom Hardy because Tom Hardy's just like a better actor and shows him up every time. Yeah, it's like, like that was my experience with The Revenant as well. It's like, um. man, you need to find a different guy to play opposite you. And and I feel like uh, you know the uh, the like toll of time is not always kind to like CGI and and it was like noticeable. It was here, whereas like I remember when I saw it, I was like. Holy shit. Found it to be like a visually astounding movie. Right. This time around, I was like, nah, I can see like all the... The seams. Yeah, the seams. I, I, I didn't feel like it was that bad. There were only a few scenes they kind of stood out a little bit. I, but I, like, I mean, it was okay. It, was it, used, it used a lot of practical effects. And yeah. the ones, the, when they did that, specifically in like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's hotel sequences, like that's when the movie looks its best. Yeah, mm -hmm. And it's I because agree. it's that, that that's physically but done. To yeah. me, when like all the... Like fruit stands exploding. Yeah, that, I think that was point. the only time in the movie where I felt like the CGI was like a little off. But the rest of it, like I was fine with it. I didn't really notice it. Mm -hmm. I think I noticed it to, there. To me, sure. I'm, yeah. I'm now. I feel like I'm now on the ball for when things are like duplicated in mm -hmm. a scene, mm -hmm. and it felt like a lot of that was happening in the scene. So it's most noticeable in the scene where. Ellen Page is first introduced to the dream world. Yeah. And the universe suddenly explodes around them. And it, it is like a cool effect because it's like time like freezing around characters that are moving normally in time. Um, but you can suddenly see like, oh, they just like copy and pasted like a bunch of debris into this scene. Yeah. And once you're on that, then you're like looking, to me, I'm like looking for it everywhere. And I felt like I noticed it a lot. 
more this time around. Okay. But when the practical effects are happening, things are cool. Yeah. Like when just the van later in the movie, there's like a van falling off a bridge, and mm -hmm. it, like they cut back to it many times. Yeah. And it's moving so slow. It's very convenient, like yeah. time slider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I like that as a language for where we are in time yeah and they just shot it at a really high frame rate so that they can see a van falling off a bridge and it looks like as far as i can tell they just like threw a van off the bridge yeah. and yeah that's what it looks like and it looks cool yeah um so yeah i don't know cgi just doesn't age well <laughs> i yeah. think that's the conclusion we've come to many times over in this podcast and yeah yeah. yeah, and it's still true in its crew, this movie. So, like, yeah. to its credit, like, I, I kind of checked to see in preparation for this episode, like, what portion of this was CG versus practical. And it was more practical than than yeah. a, a lot of films of that era. Yeah. So, uh, late in the movie, one of the more remarkable scenes in the movie is when they're having this kind of, like, three-dimensional fight through yeah. That's the movie space express. and time. Yeah. And they had, like, a set that they were, like, rotating, and mm -hmm. that allowed, and the characters were on strings and stuff like that. Yeah, they built the whole hallway that spun. Like, that's yeah. incredible. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And you wonder yeah. why he gets these Cooper comparisons. Like, that's what Kubrick did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, to Nolan's credit, I think he's also good at holding a shot mm -hmm. for a long period of time which is technically hard to do yeah it requires a lot of like forethought and planning and a lot of action movies can't do that because they just like don't do like invest the amount of planning that's happening yeah. here and i to his credit i think it's very effective and it's a much better way to me shooting action yeah um, you can see the stuff that's happening joseph gordon yeah. levitt did all those stunts Wow. Yeah. That was him. Like, that is impressive. Like, good yeah. for him. Yeah. That's cool. So, I, I agree. That's when the movie is at its best. To me, though, the stakes were just felt very flippant, and it was hard for me to, like, reinvest myself in, in a movie. Well, like, I, I'd say the real stakes yeah. aren't the corporate espionage. That's to get them into the mission, right? That's but the real cool. stakes are whether Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be arrested or not when they land. So, that's, like, kind of the, the quote unquote human element. Now, you can argue that. Like Nolan might not have implemented that as well as another director might have, but yeah. I think you can like, you know, implant your own empathy into someone who's trying to reunite himself with his children. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, I thought you were going to go in a different direction. Yeah, Marie, Marie Cotillard. Yeah, his that's wife what I think. Is his, like the core. his emotional stakes are like resolving that conflict within him. It's like yeah. it's like made physical in the world so many times. Which, have you seen Shutter Island? I have not. It's the same thing in Shutter <laughs> Island. I actually like, conveniently had a Facebook memory talking about Inception from nine years ago today. Yeah. And the first commenter was someone mentioning Shutter Island. And I it's was just the like, same I thing. In uh, spoiler, in Shutter <laughs> Island, his wife is imaginary. Okay. And it like it, it turns out the same way. Okay. And conveniently he, also stars Leo. I yeah. think yes. it was. Yeah. Uh, although yeah. I think it turned like the result is the opposite where okay. he's like gone mad and he's imprisoned yeah, he's, he's imprisoned on Shutter Island, which okay. is like a prison. Yeah. Um but it's the same story, basically, mm -hmm. from the emotional weight of the movie. Right. I mean and I think that's what I when like the Tory red flag started coming up for me. It's like when the yeah. the Coltier story starts to take off. Like this idea that what what about that is Tori just said. I think there's a few things. I was reminded of the um, Thatcher quote where she says, "There's no society. There's only men and women and families." And like, oh, the focus is on the family. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's a focus on the family, but it's also obliterating everyone that's not the subject. 
right? Because the people that you're interacting with in the dream world are very explicitly not real people, right? They're projections of your consciousness, right? Yeah. So that. I want to expand on that, but why don't you finish your thoughts? So So what I'm seeing from Nolan is his only way to like have a male-female relation, romantic relationship in this movie is to have the female exist solely within the constant consciousness of the male, right? Like she has no agency in, in this story. She exists simply through the perspective of the Leonardo DiCaprio character. And so much of, I think, Nolan's perspective in general is about remove, like for a, a, a director that's so obsessed with manipulating time, which I think you know, like we see it in Interstellar, we see it in this movie, we see it in Dunkirk, like over and over and over, prestige to a certain degree. Memento. Moment, definitely Memento, yeah. Like he, he's so obsessed with manipulating time that I think what he ends up doing is removing everything from its, its cr- chronological context. Right, and I think that's what's happening here with the with the Marianne Cotillard character. Right, like she's removed from any context other than the context of Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and the same thing with his obliteration of memory. Right, like Dunkirk is he is he places that event in it without any context around it as to how they got to that beach. We don't see any Nazis. Memento is all about the the of memory being annihilated. Right and, and memory no longer existing and removing events from that context. Same thing in this. Like the thing that they're trying to do is fabricate a memory, and, right? And to remove memories from people's consciousness. And to me, that feels very conservative. That feels very Tory. Well, in in the case that it's conservative, I, I think a big focus on like within conservative ideologies is having a like a false history for things. Yes. Um, in in that they, the false history is important because they like support a nationalistic or corporate Whatever uh, ideology. Is. Yeah. yeah. So I agree with you there. Yeah. Your um, earlier comment on all the bad guys being projections yeah. really kind of bothered me this watch around yeah. because then what it meant was that they could sort of like wantonly murder anybody in the dream. And it doesn't mean and it does, Yeah, there's no like moral stakes to what they're doing. Because, right, because there's no society. Right. right? There's, there's only men There's all these like, security guards that are throughout the movie that are murdered in like fairly horrific ways. Yeah. Um, and you'll also note that there's no blood. Yeah. They, they keep shooting people and it's t- this totally bloodless. There's a little blood. This is, for the Wantanabe character, yeah. right? The guy who is real. Right, but for every for all the other mooks out there, this is bloodless violence. It's it, yeah, they're basically like the putties from Power Rangers, yes. where you just like <laughs> punch them and they die. Yes, and I was just like, wow, this is like a really weird like murder fantasy. Wait, but right? doesn't every action movie do this? Every action movie has mooks just getting killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot and of us I've, have conservative ideologies yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's problematic. I think <laughs> it's one of the reasons why like. Um, um, like Den of Thieves, which I don't think either of you have seen. Still, I really should. But. You really should. Yeah. Um, but like the stakes of the violence in that movie are very high, and I think it points to like the shocking nature of the violence. Like really shows like the implications of like what they're doing. Keat is like I think another good example of this, where like mm. he in, in is, is problematic, but. The violence shown in Heat is like very realistic and has like real repercussions to the main characters of the film, and is like very troubling because of that. 
And I don't feel, what I am troubled by is that the violence here is cartoonish and well, and that it's and so has like no stakes, no, right? No, it, it very intentionally doesn't, right? Like this movie well, is, is so constructed. Yeah, so many the soullessness of the bad guys allows you to like kill them. Yeah, you and can then out. and the implications of that I think are they're troubling. Like, yeah, that means that like if you were to take this on in in real life, what it means that like as long as you're on the correct team, you can kill the soulless bad guys, mm -hmm. which that's I exactly think, what Empire wants. Yeah, right. which, and, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and the Empire of Empires... The, the British Empire. Yeah, yeah, it feels that way, for sure. Historically, we've seen that. Right. So, And I think that like the, that the resolution for the, the Leonardo DiCaprio character with his wife is not really to accept that she's dead or anything like that. It's to erase her, right? Like, he has to, he has to see her die in the dream world. And like that feels again like this this notion that we're that that history should be obliterated, that history should be destroyed. And I think that I, I don't think that Nolan went into this with that intention, but I think that you see that showing up in so many of his movies that it it becomes a trend and it becomes troubling, and it's hard to not connect that to his politics. Yeah, and I I think one so one really so going to Dunkirk. One really important detail about Dunkirk was mm -hmm. there was a really large section yeah. of the Indian army that was there supporting the UK. Mm -hmm. But what we see in the movie is an entirely people. white army yeah. um, and a faceless bad guy. We don't see, yeah, there's yeah. no Nazis at all. It's it's totally removed from its historical context right. outside of white British yeah. soldiers. And I think it's really important that the, the UK forced Indian soldiers to fight for them in World War II. Mm -hmm. And yeah. like that the, they were fighting the Nazis is a really important detail to Dunkirk. You remember what the first line in Dunkirk was? No, I don't. It's because you get to have that great shot at the beginning where you have like the paper falling from the the blue sky, yes. and like the soldiers run around the corner, and there's that other shoulder. Oh, does he say like I'm I'm English? I'm English. That's the yeah. first line of Dunkirk. Is I'm English, mm -hmm. right? And you know, yeah, you are. And so is this movie, and so is Christopher Nolan. Right, because what to me what that means is any any fight that the English are in yep. is, is good. In this view, mm -hmm. right? Because then you're always you're always on the good side. It doesn't matter who you're, who you're fighting. Yeah, we know for a fact that is not the case with the English army. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And to remove it from its historical context allows you just to think about it as like these are the good guys. These are the only good way in which they fight. Right. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all that Christopher Nolan is the director that conceives of a fantastical device that allows you to enter people's minds. And remove memories, right? To to steal memories and to 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 find their secrets, and, and that that seems like totally in accordance with thing, everything he'd done prior to that in his career, and everything that he'd done after. Mm -hmm. Like that that seems dead on to me. Um, the other thing that really struck me this time around is the soullessness of all of the characters, <laughs> except for DiCaprio <laughs> and Tom Hardy, because he can't not act well enough to yeah. like put soul into like a character yeah have you guys seen venom no he really saves that movie of course he does. he's so good and it was actually hilarious to like see him in this movie because you're just like 
I don't know what he's gonna sound like. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I he doesn't have a mask on for once. <laughs> I, I yeah. never know what Tom Hardy like. What's gonna come out of his mouth? Right? Is he gonna mumble? Is he gonna have a British accent? Is he gonna have an American accent? Is he gonna be super articulate? Who knows? Like, you you never know from second yeah. to, from second to second in a movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's great here. Of course, he's. Um, the soullessness of the other characters, though, was like really paramount here. Like the Ellen Page character was just like, I, what is she acting against? Like, right. She's, she's just, just like reading lines. It's just like, and she also felt very token yeah. um, as like the like token female pr- protagonist. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, um, it's just a team of dudes. Yeah. yeah, and she's always shown in opposition to Marion Cotillard's character. Yeah. So it feels like the two women in the movie are always like fighting for DiCaprio's attention, right. which is like, I, I, why is this? Why is she in this movie? She's better than this, and because she, she's a good like Juno is very good. Mm-hmm. I like Juno a lot. And she's good. She's good in a lot of things. She's good in a lot of like that um that superhero movie she did with uh with Dwight from The Office. From yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just good. called Super. Yes, yeah. it is. That movie was good. He was really good in it. Like, that was, like, a challenging movie, but it was a good movie. So, like, we know she has the chops. And, it, again, this is why I read Nolan as a guy that is kind of hostile to his actors. Mm-hmm. Like, because he doesn't give these people that much to do. He's so concerned with, like, constructing the elaborate rules that he has set up for this r- world, which he does. Like, he does clearly explain what's going on here, which is important. But he does that at the cost of any kind of character and as like people it felt very tokenized because like as a woman she's the only one that can like emotionally read DiCaprio and she instantly understands emotional labor for him she instantly understands like his relationship with the wife Mm -hmm. and like it's just like at the same time it just feels like they're projecting her lines against the wall and she was just like reading them while looking at the camera and like the lines well, and, and it's yeah. all the lines that the like that was exactly my experience of watching this movie i would be like oh how does this thing work and ellen page would ask there's, there's no mystery there's no mystery in the movie at <laughs> well all. there's no grace in the movie like there's no there's it's so just here's the rules here's the rules here's the rules and like that's fine like that that can often work but like that's the whole movie the whole thing and it just feels so it's, it makes the feel movie feel so mechanical like it's just so built rather than artistic and that's a shame right that's, it actually I, i'm shocked to say this but it reminded me a lot of the oceans 11 original that we watched <laughs> where it's just like it was better than that it, it is <laughs> it is but it executes itself in a cert in sort of classic heist, yes. heist tropes where it's just like we're gonna put the team together here's the plan do the plan yeah which is is fine like i love a heist movie a a lot of heist movies but it felt very mechanical where it was just like there's no i don't know there's like no No mystery to to the movie because ellen page is there to explain everything Mm -hmm. um and like yeah because i i think that nolan is so obsessed with i think his career is like a misreading of kubrick Right, where he understood that what makes Kubrick good is controlling everything, which he did. Right, like mm-hmm. Kubrick did control everything, mm-hmm. but like he didn't just do that. Right, like he controlled everything so that he could make clear his insight into the human condition. Right, so he could critique the Vietnam War, so he could talk about how money corrupts and is used to abuse young women, which is what happens in Eyes Wide Shut. Right, like he, so he can talk about the abuses of 
uh, the American Empire and the American expansion in, in The Shining, right? Like his control was towards some end. And I feel like Nolan watched Kubrick movies and said the control is the goal. The point is controlling everything. And, and that's wrong. That's like such a profound misreading of what makes Kubrick great. And that's, that's why we end up with these movies that, that feel like so strictly you know, regimented toward the goal of being strictly regimented. That's, yeah, and that, that was, I think, towards the end, my issue with like his Batman series. Yeah. Because the Batman series is just like, hey, isn't Batman a good guy? And just like unquestionably yeah. like dives into like <laughs> these billionaires doing it for the right reasons. And it's great that he's beating up criminals yep. and saves the system. Yeah. I mean, th- th- uh. that third one, the Dark Knight Rises, is his most overtly conservative movie. Like he's not trying. He's it's, hiding it anymore. It's a fascist film. Like, yeah, it's, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like that, that's, that's Nolan at his least subtle. And he's not a very subtle guy to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. He might as well like. If it were in today's language, Joker would be a part of like Antifa, right? Like, yeah, because he like is Antifa in that movie. Yeah, he, like, it, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I don't like. I I think this movie is cool. Like, there's cool. It's shot well, and like the action scenes are cool. But I'm like continuously troubled by Nolan. Yes, <laughs> as uh, his ideology is so apparent. Yep. In his films. Yeah, and, and, and troubling. Okay, well, now that we've unpacked all that. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I see anguish in your face here, Charles. Like, like I like the heist element of this movie. Uh-huh. I think it's cool. And I don't, yeah, how, I don't do, know. how do you feel? I mean, about I'm it? just, yeah. I just really like Nolan films in general. So. I think that's fine. Right? Yeah. Like, I, like I think he does like visually cool stuff that yeah. is. Probably impossible for a lot of directors. To yeah, do. and I'm I'm like a very very visually inclined like movie watcher. Dunkirk, so. they like mothballed some planes and like took them out and flew them around and like that's not possible for most directors to do. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, and I, I'm but, in no I I have no desire or authority to critique someone for just for liking something that has political problems. Like I've seen too many John Wayne movies to <laughs> take that position. Um, well, yeah, yeah. And in the ideology that's exhibited here is exists across all right. All American film. Yeah, it's yeah. just that <laughs> Nolan does it well. Yeah. Right? He's just a very talented filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and does it popularly. To his credit, like he wears his like card on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like like Power to him, like he is a Tory filmmaker. He, yes, like, get get on him, like yeah, like he clearly watched a lot of David Lean films and said, yeah, let's like bring Kubrick aesthetic to that. Yeah, I'm I'm actually jealous. Like I wish more American films would be more forthright. Yeah, with their politics. Yeah, with their politics. Yeah, because it's easy to watch like Transformers and just be like, oh, look at the robot movie. But it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, but also this is an advertisement for uh, the armed forces. Yes. Um, but like, if you're going to do that, then like, you know, do it, do it. Mm-hmm. like make, make Starship Troopers, but serious, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like if that's what you want to do, yeah. like go for it. You yeah. Know? That's what, that's what Nolan does. Um, so the other popular reading of Inception, and it's something that I, I think most, or a lot of audiences picked up on pretty quickly. And it's certainly in the text is that it's a metaphor for filmmaking and the creative process. Um, and I think that that is true and 
interesting in this movie. Like, I think that's a, that's a good thing in this movie. Um, I was reminded of Eight and a Half watching this, and I wanted to, like, watch it again um, after viewing Inception, but didn't get a chance to. Okay. I haven't seen that one. We, you should pick it for <laughs> your movies here. It's a good one. Um, but apparently, DiCaprio was asked about inspirations for this film, or, like, what, on the red carpet at the premiere or some event, and he cited Eight and a Half. Like, so I, I think that this movie being about creativity and and uh, and filmmaking is here, and that it, it, Nolan did kind of articulate each member of this team as a member of a film crew. Well, the obvious reference to me was uh, M.C. Escher, right? Because well, they make it literal in, well, the, sure, yeah. in the film, where they have the like infinite staircase that right. yeah. is straight out of an Escher drawing. Yes, yeah, like in that in that sense, certainly. But, but along along those lines, like Escher's incredible artistic ability to for pattern and mathematics right. and all that is like uh, the obvious like visual thing here yes but really what that points to is like asher as like a visual genius which is like very wrapped up in like a filmmaking mythology mm-hmm. or because it's like the sole vision of like a genius filmmaker and you know they create this like incredible thing and Emotions be damned, and yeah, which yeah. Is, it, that's no one's great fault, right? Like, yeah, which we, is Fellini's fault too. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. He's not alone in that yeah. failing, um, but I mean, he certainly has it. I, but I think that this is like Ellen Page even has a line where she talks about her construction of these dreams as pure creativity or pure creation, something like that. Yeah. And I think that that is really what the movie is about. It's about like this. They're on on one level. It's also about you know memory and dreams and shit. Yeah. But like also about like how creativity happens and like a a creator's relationship to the thing that they created, right? And with, with like the children standing in as like the ideal creation for the Leonardo DiCaprio character and the uh, Marion Cotillard character like standing in for like his indulgence, right, in his creativity as opposed to Fisher the Celia Murphy character being the audience, right? And mm-hmm. like these should be created and creating for the audience, for and for the audience's catharsis rather than for your own. Um, and I think that that's that's the movie read through that lens. That's the movie at its best. Well, I think. I, th- I think this is like a classic like film or art school story because what they do is they go to they literally go to an architecture school. Mm-hmm. They pull up, they pull out the most genius artistic student yep. and go with that and. In the like art world, or even in film, that's often what happens. Is that like people who strike a hop for a few years? They've been plucked out of art school. Some gallerist inflates their career, and they're hot for a few years, and they sell all their work and like retire on that. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's like how contemporary art works. And then you just look mm-hmm. for like the next person like that. You just go to art the same art school that you have a relationship look for the next hot artist and inflate their career and try and make money off of it so as, as a reference to like art and contemporary filmmaking it feels like pretty accurate like mm-hmm. that's how like media is created yeah and I, I think what's problem problematized here or i think what's problematic about it is that that notion of like pure creativity mm-hmm. is like like there's no in, in that, what that means is that you're just like, to me, what that means is someone who's been through art school, you're just throwing paint on a canvas, somebody thinks that you're a genius, and they like pull you out, and you're like, oh, it's cool. There's no like challenge to the system or the way in which you're 
executing your medium. Right. The, the purity suggests a divorce from the, the politics. Right. It shows a level of like genius craft making, not idea making. Which is, of course, no one would idealize that. Yes. Right? That's how he views himself. Yeah, of course. I'm sure. And like <laughs> I, I had similar, when I was making art, I had similar issues. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I feel like I was good at craft making and I, what felt very hollow to me was the notion of like idea making. And yeah, I, right. I think that was like very challenging as someone in, in art and part of the reasons that I have trouble making artwork anymore. Yeah, but the idea making yeah. is like what makes the art. Yeah, of course. That's, that's what mm -hmm. resonates yeah. and is, is important. Right. Like any anybody can be trained very well. Yeah. 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 And so, so, I, I, so what I think you see in this movie is a, almost a celebration of artur theory, right? Like that, that there's this notion I, that I think it's a celebration of like genius art making, right? Which is yeah. very closely tied to, which Artur. is probably like no one feels about him. <laughs> yes, and, and he's good. He's like a really good craftsperson, right? Because I mean, he he directed this movie, he wrote this movie, he yep. conceptualized this whole Inception thing. Yeah, like yeah, like he, he this is like his vision, yeah. and that's true of a lot of his films. They're his vision. And not many directors really claim auteurism in the way that he does. Yeah. Um, one of the artists I studied under is a guy named John Knight, who's like a known artist. Um, he would describe work like this mm -hmm. as fashion. What he means by that is that it's beautifully constructed and that it's like a beautiful object that you want and desire, but is a total void when it comes to idea yeah. And, and I feel like Nolan is yeah. fits right in that, or he is a, a fashion maker. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah. The, the only way I would tweak that a little bit is I think it's it's actually hard to make something that's void of ideas because you end up with ideas accidentally, and I think that's part of what no, what Nolan has done. Yeah, here. that's then that's what I. Yeah, I, my interpretation of what John Knight is saying is that okay, like there's no intentional ideas. No what there is a actually and, and I, this is probably what he really means is that through its lack of ideas it's a totally like fish to stick device yes um where your your intent is so strong to like not have an idea that it actually totally reinforces the dominant ideology yeah. of the time yeah which, which is something is, we've encountered many times which is what Nolan is doing yeah but i, I think this, he, this is very philosophical but that is my sense as to like what he means and, and actually what's happening here. Yeah, and I think that, that goes back to some of our earlier critiques of no society, man, woman, family. Yeah. Which is which is the idea. Really, that if there's a central actionable philosophy in this movie, like that's it. Yeah, and yeah. there's no like nation state here, yeah. right? Like it's just you're just an international caper. It's all about companies and stealing ideas from company to company. And, Although there is, and it's yeah. the home. Yeah. Right. Like the, the the only country that's really defined in a in a concrete way is the United States because that's where DiCaprio is from, and like returning to there and a really really yeah. nice house in Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. It looks like a Frank Lloyd Wright house or something. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm, I'm sure it's like in Eagle Rock yeah. or I, I, some really nice area. Yeah. Like DiCaprio lives in Falling Water or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like how, how does he have this place? Yeah. Those like uh, the French doors that open to that backyard yeah. and the canyon view. That's yeah. that's like Malibu. Or or Eagle Rock, or somewhere mm -hmm. really nice in LA. Yeah, and yeah, so sure, of course, that's where he lives. Uh, so, I, Michael King gave an interview about this movie um, at some point after it came out, and he had the same question that a lot of the more 
a lot of the audience did after uh, after it came out, which is what what's actually happening at the end? Like, is it really mm-hmm. a dream? The least interesting question about this movie, but nonetheless, there we are. Um, and so Michael Caine asked Christopher Nolan, like, if it's a dream or not, or like when it is a dream and when it isn't. And apparently, Christopher Nolan said, "Whenever you're in the scene, it's reality." And to Michael Caine, <laughs> so like Michael Caine was in that last scene. It's always reality. (laughs) There we go. According, I I read that Christopher Nolan said that it. I mean, it's probably like similar to your reading, where it doesn't matter if it's a dream or not. Of course, the point is that Leo has stopped staring at his totem and is left to be with his children. Right, which I think is the act, like how we're meant to read it. Like that, that, I think that's Nolan's intent is that it doesn't matter what is reality and what isn't, which is of course what a Tory believe. Like, of course he doesn't give a shit about what's real and what isn't real. Right, like this, this, the ideology, ideology of this movie, or at least that last scene, is like the opposite of the Matrix. Right? Like, well, the, if you go in the other direction. Yeah, I think the what didn't make sense to me this time through was that like if you have this entire fantasy world where you have like basically infinite life, why not just live? Why there? not just live there? Yeah. That's way better than reality, right? Like, so the people who they, the movie seems to kind of imply that they're. I, like the movie seems to have like disdain for the people that are constantly sleeping within like Marrakesh or wherever they are. Yes. Um, yeah, it's portrayed as like this dirty, dingy place. It's portrayed in a foreign country, so of course, you know, no one, one that's hates. definitely been dominated by the UK. Yeah, so of course, industry. no one like views it as. Um, also, one that's everywhere. falling apart, and there's like a, a, yeah, a, just, a, a like some sort of like d- unrest. Yes, you see it at the at the beginning of the film too, where there's that like, that riot that's coming at their hotel yeah. while they're in some yeah. level of the dream well, world. That, yeah, that is a dream world, right? But it's like still out. no, like what does Nolan do to suggest danger and and like in, impending a destruction? Mob of a mob people. of foreigners. Yeah. yeah, of course that's what it is. <laughs> and there's a, like car explosions that they're not concerned by, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. they have no like. Uh, um, like sense of bodily harm to like cars that are exploding by them. Um, they go there and there's the guy who like mixes all the chemicals that are like special mm-hmm. and there's like this underground lab mm-hmm. where all these people are like sleeping constantly. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, like if you had the ability to do that, you'd, like, you'd, you'd be a, a god. Yeah. And, like, it's like a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the obvious correct choice right when but the, the, the old like when that. the alternative is the horrors of reality yes uh right yeah which clashes so harshly with what nolan is saying in the rest of the film right where he's talking about you got to get back to your family right you have to return to your family you in, have to in obliter- reality you have to obliterate the, your memory of your wife you have to insert this false memory to give this guy some you know fabricated notion of his relationship with his father right like he so much values the fantasy and destroying reality in the rest of the film, but then when people embrace something that makes their lived experience better, that becomes bad. So it seems like what he's really opposed to here is just people being happy. And like, <laughs> yeah. that sucks. Right? Or fighting for you know, a, a better future right. in a country that's under the thumb of a colonial power. So he's just, yeah, he's just like anti-happiness. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to your previous point about him obliterating his memory of his wife, I don't think that's really what's going on there, though. I think the point is Doesn't that... Doesn't he have to, like, shoot her, though? 
I, I, the way I read it is the projection of his wife in his subconscious is a representation of his guilt for what he did all those years ago, yeah. right? Yes. And so the whole point of this is so that he can let go of his prior guilt for this terrible thing that he did. By, like, murdering his right. wife. So think, think of the other ways that, he, yeah. that this could have been represented in cinema, right? Like, what if, rather than him having this violent encounter with his evil wife at the end of the movie, he instead, like, has a conversation with her where he talks about, like, in his memory, his projection of his wife, which again is all fantasy, which he feels guilty about. What if he explains his guilt? What if he? What if he has an emotional moment and a moment of actual internal catharsis that is presented as something that is felt rather than something that is acted upon another person? What if that's what he needs, rather than a violent conclusion against this female figure? that has been tormenting him this entire time, right? Like, there's so many other ways to arrive at, you know, a, a, a moment where you are comfortable with what happened before mm-hmm. that this movie opts not for, right? What it opts for instead is destroying what was before. And that is the problem, right? Like, that, that's the bad thing here. Mm-hmm. Compared to, I guess this, is, this might be a little bit out there, compared to the end of Kill Bill 2, Right, <laughs> so the, at the, like it. Uh, I it's uh, I was thinking of Inglorious Bastards. Sure, because there's like the whole movie's like a fantasy, anyways, right? Right. So the the fantasy at the end is to like to kill to kill Hitler. Hitler. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. this is absurd. Rad. Like it's rad and yeah. absurd and and ahistorical and it's cool because of that. Right, yeah. but like, the reason I thought of, of Kill Bill too is that this whole movie builds up to this massive showdown between. The bride oh, and, it's such a and Bill, yeah. right? Like you're ready for them to like really throw down. She's been over the course of the last two movies, like ready to find this guy, and she shows up, and they have a conversation, uh-huh. and that's the movie, yeah. Right? Like that's well, the she's show still got to do her finishing move on her, right? Yeah, it's, but it's not it's like thirty a, seconds over the course of the last like fifteen minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just them talking and her like understanding, and then like coming closer to understanding each other, so that the fight at the end feels sorrowful. Right, and it feels it and it feels earned and it feels emotional, mm-hmm. yeah. as opposed to this movie where it's build up, build up, build up to this confrontation with the Marion Cotillard character, and they get there and they they fight for a while and he shoots her and that's it, right? Like they don't they they have like this something of a conversation, but it's really constantly under this yeah. this threat and this tension, right? And like it ends with more tension. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, that sucks. Man, that's, that's a bad way to deal with your emotions. Man, that's a bad way to deal with like your feelings of guilt and your relationship with your wife. Yeah, and the token female character is just like, "All right, you got it." And yeah, she, like, the eye tails it out of there. So. Yeah, yeah, like, um, man, that, that's a bummer. Any... Did he actually shoot her there? I, I like don't remember like how she got wounded in that scene. Doesn't she get shot? She, Am I like misremembering this? Or? The, that was my memory. Or she gets stabbed or something. She's fatally wounded. Like yeah, it's a violent yeah. conclusion to the fact that we don't remember it. Like points to the bloodlessness of the movie. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. it does. <laughs> um, but I think the important thing to take away from that is, yeah, it was it, it, it was a violent end, right? To what should have been an emotional problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, fuck that. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any other closing thoughts, Wilson? <laughs> I feel like I've had, uh, I've done a lot of the talking this yeah, time. Yeah, I, I feel so. As well, I, right. it's been very philosophical. Um, I this time around, I was just like, yeah, this is like cool, it, but I, I think it's worth watching. But it felt very hollow to me, right? But I think it's worth watching. I think that A. Nolan is an important filmmaker of the two thousands. Yeah, right. And very you should so. you should see this important movie that he made. Yeah. You don't skip it like I did. Um, 
and that there is like we got to you need to see the problematic stuff to like understand it. Yeah. Right. And it, it just like as an experience in the theater, like it's still just a well-made movie, right? Like it still just does that stuff. Um, One thing I yeah. thought was interesting was the parallel between how they do Inception and like how movies can be satisfying. Because sure. they talk about how you have to boil it down to like the most basic idea so that, you know, the, the mark can take the idea and like kind of blossom it themselves. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I found one of the most satisfying scenes in the movie to be when Cillian Murphy finally opens the vault and gets to talk to his dad. Yeah. And he finds the pinwheel uh, and his dad says, like, I'm disappointed you wanted yeah. to be like me the, or whatever. The actually dying Pete Postlewaite. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and like... That scene always hit me really hard because it felt really emotional and it's about like his relationship with his father and all that and I can relate to that. Yeah. Um, but then like, you know, you step back for a moment and you remember that this is all like fabricated within multiple levels of his dreams and it's like Which, his deep subconscious talking to him. Exactly how Tori would talk about their father. Like <laughs> someone who's emotionally abusive their entire life with, mm -hmm. was remembered as like a great man because of like his <laughs> right. like, life accomplishments. Like, this is Reagan. This is Thatcher. Yeah. This is... John McCain. Right? Exactly the kind of legend making that happens in conservative ideologies. Yeah. But it is also like it yeah. connects to the other side of this movie, which is that when we go into a movie, we know it's it's made up. Right. Like, which yeah. I, I think it's the point you're making. And yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. That like we understand that it is an artifice. We understand that this is not real, but we are still emotionally affected by it. Yeah. Right? yeah it's still it still connects to like, you know, experiences I've had in life. And I thought right. that was very powerful. Right. And so that's like another parallel that the movie has with filmmaking right. in general. Right. Which, wow. Again. Like way to play out, at least for Nolan, the like emotionally distant father who like <laughs> you just need to find them at the top of a snowy mountain. Right. And hug them on, their, the on their deathbed. <laughs> exactly. But people who have, the, I, I don't want to like over <laughs> emphasize, but like right. one of the greatest jokes I ever heard uh, was, or like digs I've ever heard it was like <laughs> someone, some comedian talking about how they like got really into like mountain climbing, mm -hmm. and some other comedian was just like, "Oh, when you got to the top of the mountain, did you find your dad at the top?" And that's like <laughs> exactly what happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, there, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> that's inception. Yeah, because uh, right, you need to like prove your self worth as a man to your father, and right. he's like been able to accomplish like, the great task. Yeah, now yes. he can like, give you his Now he can love you. Yeah, um, I, I also love a good heist movie, and I feel like we didn't like. I mean, like we didn't cover quite as much of how what makes this interesting as a heist movie, but like I love that he constructed three. Kind of three separate action movies into one movie. Yeah, very and impressive. I think he does a very good job of communicating that clearly. Like you know, what level you're on, what progression of the level you're on, um, and how these all like kind of sync together. Um, and like the, the the funnest heists are where it's extremely difficult and there's a lot of synchronization required, right? And this yeah. is like kind of the ultimate version yeah. of that. Uh, it's kind of like you know the Mission Impossible movies where yeah. they have a bunch of different things that need to happen at the same and time. And some like high stakes thing goes wrong and they're yeah. able to like fabricate a way around it. Yeah, and a lot of stuff goes wrong. Like the the van um, kick fails at first and they improvise around that, right? And I always yeah. find that really interesting. Um, so it's cool to see them work around these challenges and have it all sync back up at the end and have them all wake up. Again. Yeah, I, I agree. And like when it, I, I was referencing Heat earlier, what I yeah. liked about Heat is like when they finally get to like the actual heist moment, 
the film up until then skips around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. When they get to the heist, the heist plays out in real time. Like they go yeah. into the it's bank, such a good they, they, they steal from yeah. the safe, they go back to the road. They like all the main characters get killed, and they like a few of them get away. Yeah, it's so good. And so the sense of like time that Michael Mann is using there, I think, is like referenced here quite a bit. Like how yeah. they play with time and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. Um, this episode's gone long. It has. Yeah. So. Okay, so we'll be back in a moment with uh, things we've seen. All right, and we're back with things we've seen. This is where we uh, talk about usually more contemporary films that we've seen recently. Uh, my co-hosts have seen Spider-Man. I have purposely checked out of the Marvel <laughs> universe. Um, until they bring back Blade, I'll probably be done with Marvel. Um, are you, are they announced Thor 4 directed by... The same uh, Taika. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll probably see that. Okay. Because I know you love Ragnarok, and you're correct, too. Well, great. Ragnarok is good, and Taika yeah, specifically that's a, that's a is very exciting development. Yes, it is. Um, but you saw Spider-Man far, far From, from home. home. Far From Home. Far From Home is Italy. Well, no, they get all over. They're in Italy. They're in France for a little while. They go while. all over Europe. Yeah, they're just all up and down Europe. Okay. So, European vacation. European vacation Spider-Man. Tell us. Uh, so, it, it, it's a... It's, Basically, a teen rom com with superheroes in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, and the rom com between Gyllenhaal and uh, Tom. If only. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it isn't. I wish. Um, it's between Tom Holland and uh, MJ. Zendaya. Zendaya. Um, and it, so the, the premise is that like Spider Man is grieving uh, Tony Stark having died in Endgame. Uh, he also has a summer vacation at apparently a very wealthy school in Queens because I don't know how else they're putting this together. How, do they explain how they fix the time? Actually, issue? they do. Yes, that's how the movie opens. Oh, okay. Uh, they do so, it in a really funny way, which is a great way to like kind of pull out of that like cool. plot line. Okay. Um, but they Wait, start is he out, like a freshman? All those friends are like seniors or something? Or? Sort of. They have like a, a school produced news video where they talk about what happened and okay. they show like half of the band members disappearing during like a, a thing okay. and then they like reappear during the middle of a basketball game and the basketball players like run into them it's it, they it's, play like, really and it's, it's a comedy like this movie's a like comedy yeah. or anything else and okay. it does that um so there there there's like com plot convenience about like the important people in spider-man's life all snap away and like come back to the same age because like you need that to happen yeah um, there's one character that was like much younger when they Snapped away that is introduced in this movie. It's now essentially their age, okay. which is played for laughs at a few a few moments. Um, the The plot of the movie is that they're on a summer vacation to Europe. Spider Man is uh, trying to like get over the End Game stuff and Tony Stark dying, and he like wants to get away from being Spider Man for a while. But of course, when he gets there, uh, these monsters start start showing up, and Mysterio appears as a hero, the Jake Gyllenhaal character, to help Spider Man's. Spider-Man fight the elementals or whatever the hell they are. Yeah. Um, and in the background of this is him trying to, really that's playing in the background of him trying to woo um, <laughs> uh, MJ yeah. um, and figure out how to confess his his uh, crush on her. And and, the, and then there's jokes. And, like, yeah, yeah, of course. And that's, and that's the movie. Um, what do you think of it? I loved it. I yeah. thought it was fantastic. Uh, I really like the um, like kind of meta plot aspect of it. Yes. Because, like, the whole plot is, I mean, the villain plot, at least, is, like, a meta uh, reference to, like, superhero movies. Yes. And it's kind of funny because you see Jake Gyllenhaal talking, like, you know, a superhero movie producer. He's talking about how he needs, like, 
he's talking about how like in these times people will believe anything and it's funny how people react to the trailer because the trailer introduces him as someone who came from a different universe and um as a result of the snap or whatever right and everybody's like oh my god like are they introducing the multiverse into it and all that right um, but then it turns out he just made it up right, right? And he's like everyone they'll believe anything now because of all this stuff that's happened and he talks about how he needs to introduce introduce like a larger like avengers scale threat and that's a common problem we always talk about with superhero movies how they always need ramp to wrap it, it up yeah. right um, so he like makes one up to try to get people to take him seriously as a hero, so they can like gain power and influence, and it works. And it's it's a really funny like meta take on superhero movies. Yeah, I like that they have Dylan Hall like after that, you know, very predictable reveal. They have him just walking around in like the CG suit that they have. Yeah, wanted. I love that his real costume, quote unquote, <laughs> is just the motion capture suit, and you always see that behind the scenes. Right, which is which is pretty funny here. I like that the the villain in this movie is just a guy, right? Yeah. Like it's not he doesn't have any superpowers except that he has access to a bunch of technology yeah. and is very charming. Like other than that, he's just like a dude that lives on Earth. <laughs> like that's it. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that it's yet another continuation of Tony Stark screwing up because yeah. his entire party of people is all people that have been screwed over by Tony Stark at some point. Right, they want revenge on on that. Um, what I my only disappointment with this movie, and I guess this is kind of a, a finer point, is I feel like like this is yet another Marvel movie that didn't really go for it. Like I felt uh-huh. there was space here for like a more articulated critique of like the construction of heroes in the popular consciousness or like uh, how we grieve people that we have you know strange relationships with or unconventional relationships with or like how we conceptualize ourselves as uh, as heroes or not heroes and like Mm -hmm. that this movie like introduced some of those things but then like didn't really grapple with them yeah in a in a way that would have been satisfying or meaningful and i think that that was true of the prior spider-man movie and also a lot of marvel movies in general like that's why black they, panther they never really seem to go there right but that's why black panther is so good because that one does mm-hmm. go there like that one yeah. actually does make a critique so does ragnarok um and this one didn't and like you go into the Marvel movie and like you're kind of expecting that, but it still is irritating to see them get so close. Yeah, I mean you have so many rest of so much so many ingredients to to form like a very like politically relevant message because right. they talk about essentially fake news the yeah. entire movie. That's like that's what Mysterio is. He's creating like fake news to try to boost his own image, right? And they don't really say anything about that yeah. at the end. They get this is, right this up to the it. Bond film that does that too, the Pierce Brosnan one. Oh, like tomorrow one never dies. Tomorrow never dies. Yeah, yeah. It's entirely yeah. about that. CNN. One's a little CNN. wackier than what's politically relevant to today. I no, think. it's about CNN. Well, the guy runs. He's like basically Ted Turner, and he's starting a war <laughs> to like boost the ratings on his network. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like, I, I other like as a comedy, right? Like, and as just like a character piece for Peter Parker and like the relationship with Mary Jane works really well. I like that MJ is finally a person in this movie, which wasn't true of any of the prior depictions. Yeah. I, I, I really liked, um, like her as like this conspiracy theorist obsessed character. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I she's the one funny. who figures out the, the, the twist. I like, yeah, I, I like that she's actually really smart and like she doesn't need to see him in the Spider-Man outfit. She just like says like, oh yeah, I 
figured out that you're Spider-Man. Yeah. It wasn't that hard. Um, like, that worked really well for me. I, I like yeah. the I mean, you figured that would happen more often. Right, exactly. Movies, and, like, uh, the kind of hang of the lampshade on that. So um, that, I, I think, really worked. Uh, so my quibbles with this are, are relatively minor in yeah. terms of what I expect from Marvel movies. Um, so it, it was good. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, uh, I also really like Jake Gyllenhaal's performance here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think he was the perfect casting for this because I'm reminded of, I guess, a, a toned-down version of his Nightcrawler character yeah. because he starts out as, like, a very, like, kind and, like, almost fatherly figure to Spider-Man, which he's just acting to to gain his trust. But later you see him become, like, a very, like, you know, very petty and vindictive and, like, angry, like, revenge-hungry guy. And he becomes, like, the the true self from Nightcrawler where he's like really nasty and it's just really cool to see him play both those characters and how quickly he turns. Yeah, he's great. And I'm glad they didn't kill him off at the end. Like I think we could see him again at some point. I uh, thought he definitely Did he died. die? I thought the the trick was that it was some... I mean like they could probably make something yeah, up for that. Yeah, of course they could. <laughs> of course they could. I hope he comes back. Dylan Hall's <laughs> great. More of him and everything. Yeah. Um, what did you see, Crossing? Anything good? Yeah, I watched a documentary. It's actually a documentary series on Netflix right now. It's called um, Dirty Money. Oh, I've heard about this. It's produced by uh, the couple or like the the producers of um, the Oscar winning um, The Smartest Guys in the Room, which oh. was a documentary about Enron. They're basically just taking the same lens to other scandals. Um, the first one in the series is about the VW emissions scandal, mm. which if you're not familiar with, um, maybe like five years ago now, it turned out that the diesel engines on VWs, which were marketed as being very environmentally friendly, were actually fake. Um, and VW was falsifying the data and they got caught um, a few times, but it finally stuck by the California emissions regulators like figured it out and then um, they got fined a bunch of money and even after committing criminal acts like nothing really happened to these people yep um, imagine that the documentary kind of goes through the process like the the filmmaker had owned one of these VWs mm-hmm. and is like someone who's environmentally conscious and felt very hurt by this mm-hmm. and um then it kind of goes from there and they they sort of backtrack and they go through kind of the hits the like history of vw which was uh in the nazi party and then kind yep. of turned into you know one of the largest automakers in the world and um they needed a way to like figure out a way to like sell diesel better and the way that they figured that out was to lie about it um, <laughs> it worked, and then they they interview a number of the regulators who like ended up catching BW, and then go through kind of like some of the fallout for that. Um, but the conclusion, the sad conclusion of the film is that like, other than money being fined to BW, nothing happened. Um, and it's good; it's a good series. I think that this filmmaker, I think when I saw Smartest Guys in the Room, I, I think it's a very important film just in terms of like its challenge to capital and power and the sort of fakeness behind business success i think is one of the things that that film interprets and i think as a series it's actually like very very effective um it's it's interesting it's kind of a bummer yeah that's why i would avoid it like that that sucks (laughs) yeah it really does suck um 
what sucks about it really is that they were like, hey, there's this thing that's going to like fix the environment. And it turned out that it was just like making a horse. Wizard of Oz. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's the real bummer, I think. Yeah, it's on his first season, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think there's like five or six in the series. Is, is it meant to be continued after that, or is this just like no? They're each okay. each is its own story. Okay. So there's six. Of course, they had no trouble finding six financial scandals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't watched the others, but the first one is like very effectively made. I think okay. Netflix chooses its uh, filmmakers mostly fairly well, particularly in the documentary space. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the people behind this are, are good filmmakers and they tell a good story. That's um, important. They're just like downers. Yeah. <laughs> well, the world's a downer sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd recommend it. I think it's an interesting film. That's I think good. corporate power is like very rarely challenged in film. And Here we are. Here we are, yeah. And dirty Money is called? Dirty Money is the series. The first episode's on BW. Okay. How BW long are these episodes? episodes? Uh, about an hour. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so it's like a full film length. Um, and they're, they're like very well made, very well researched and they get to like the people who are involved. Like they're interviewing VW executives mm. who were oh, wow. involved. <laughs> okay. Well, good. That's a good get. Yeah. 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 So I'd, cool. I'd recommend it. Okay. Well, uh, Crossman, you have our, the, oh, I'm sorry, Charles, you have the next pick. Yes. What, what are we watching? So I saw that a theater, uh, in the city is showing Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So I decided Perfect. I want to go and see that in theaters. Can't go wrong with Spielberg. It's a good pick. Um, it's been a long time since I saw, I saw that movie. Yeah. I saw it as a youth. Same. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, if you are enjoying the show, please share it with folks. Please comment. Please subscribe. Uh, we are on Facebook. Um, we are on SoundCloud. Um, we are all easily contactable as individuals. <laughs> um, so feel free to reach out. Um, and join us next week for Close Encounters of the Third Kind.